This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to a slightly different episode of What's Eric Eating? I'm still your host, Ultramap Food Editor Eric Sandler, but the format is a little different. We're celebrating a few of my favorite podcast episodes of the last year by reposting them into the feed. So many more of you are listening these days, and I think these shows deserve to be heard by all of you. And if you've heard them before, maybe you can listen to them with fresh ears. Whether you're new or a loyal friend and true, I appreciate all of you who have supported this show. I hope to make 2024 our best year yet. Now, on with the show. When someone tells me, hey, I want to come on the show and talk about season two of The Bear, I say yes, especially when it's it's this person. He doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. He is a food and wine best new chef, a James Beard Award winner, a partner in Thoroughfare Hospitality, the company behind Anvil, Refuge, Better Luck Tomorrow, Squabble, and most importantly for our purposes, Theodore Rex. Justin, you, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me talk about a TV show. Yeah, I, I mean, when you said, I want to come on the show and talk about season two of The Bear, I said yes immediately. But let me just ask you the obvious question. Why did you want to come on and talk about season two of The Bear? Oh, do I, I have mean, to explain it, what the it, bear is before we do this? Do I have to explain that the bear is a show on Hulu set in the world of a Chicago restaurant? Do I I I feel like if you're listening to the show, you probably have already watched the bear. And if you and this is going to be spoiler city. So if you haven't watched season two of the bear and you plan to, you may not want to listen to this. All right. That is that is enough context. Justin, go. Why did you want to talk about the bear? Yeah, well, I was actually, we were in the middle of putting a the Italian beef sandwich on at the menu um, at Better Look Tomorrow, and I actually had not seen the second season yet, so I was in the middle of it and really enjoying it. Um, and, you know, originally when we put on the Italian beef over at BLT, because, of, because honestly, people kept on asking me if I had watched the season one of The Bear, uh, I was, I, it started off as something that's like very tongue in cheek. Um, but I thought it was important because I really think that this, you know, this TV show more so than any other movie, more so than any other TV show about restaurants and chefs and cooks had like the most accurate depiction of what it would be like to work in an actual restaurant and maybe of a restaurant that is aiming to be a high end fine dining, maybe uh, charge a little bit more money type of restaurant and the type of people that work in it. Um, I think it was important to point out all the detail work, um, that they did, um, for both season one and season two of the bear. Um, and you know, just even little things like if you're watching it, uh, like they're drinking out of court containers, uh, they're important, <laughs> the importance of sitting down for staff meal, um, and kind of just, you know, I thought it was a really interesting dynamic between um, how someone came into uh, working 
in the restaurant industry and hoping to cook uh, at a fine dining level um, and how their life uh, kind of nuanced its way into opening up a restaurant. Yeah, I I mean, I I think that sets the stage very well for this conversation we're going to have. Let me just start with with Carmi, because you guys have some things in common in terms of your, well, the character's background and, and your actual life. You stodged in Copenhagen and you have won similar awards. He he is a James Beard Award winner. You you are a James Beard Award winner. He is a food and wine best new chef. You are a food and wine best new chef. He worked at some really great Michelin-starred restaurants uh, before obviously coming home to Chicago. You worked in California at, at a few places that were highly notable uh, before coming home to Houston and opening Oxheart. So do you feel like a kinship with him? Do you kind of see anything about yourself in at least professionally in, in terms of Carmi? Definitely professionally. I think that uh, him opening up the restaurant after he's kind of won all of these awards uh, is a little bit different, but I would say it's just like that same kind of desire and drive to do something for yourself. I really felt that kinship with Carmi. I think he's doing his maybe a little bit more for like a family reason. Um, and then, um, you know, finding a way to do it for himself and trying to find that balance. And I think we'll talk about this pretty consistently in this, trying to find that balance, not only in the food, but then also in, you know, what a desire for life is, what a relationship is with both his employees um, and, you know, his personal life as well with, with his brother, his mother, and, uh, you know, the, the staff. Um, I really think that if, you know, obviously there are over-exaggerations for the sake of TV. There's a high, high amount of drama. So you don't get to see all like, like the little, <laughs> all the very banal things that you have to do to work in a restaurant like that. Um, but you do get to see kind of like that really like strong interior dialogue of, you know, is, is this what I want to be doing? Um, at what level do I want to be doing it? How obsessive should I be about this? Um, versus, uh, uh, versus like what's actually there on the plate and what the expectations are. Yeah, I mean, again, this is this is a spoiler-filled conversation. Obviously, the last episode kind of ends. You know, we we get kind of foreshadowing at the end of episode nine. Uncle Jimmy, Carmi says to him, "You know, I have a girlfriend," and and Uncle Jimmy gives him this speech about how you've got to be really committed to this. You've got to make this your your focus. And and, and Uncle Jimmy's like, you know, Carmi says, "Well, I have a girlfriend," and and Uncle Jimmy goes, "I'm happy for you, but uh oh, you know, watch out." And and then of course you know it all it all kind of ends in tears in episode ten where he he kind of comes to this realization that even spending a little bit of time with Claire Bear has been a distraction. He he never got the handle on the the walk in replaced. He didn't order enough forks. He didn't know about the art hanging on the wall. You know he missed that text from from Natalie, his sister, who's his uh, business partner in the restaurant. You know, I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna open you up for too much like uh, psychological introspection, but but do you do you kind of feel that push pull of like, you know, we always we talk about work life balance, but but at the same time, like it's your name on the door and if you want this place to be successful, you really it has to have all of your attention, at least at least when you're opening, at least in the very beginning. Yeah, I mean I think that was very much reflective on when when we were opening up Oxheart, like um, all I really want to do, all I was obsessed about the restaurant consistently, um, even to the last detail to 
you know, like I should pay attention to how much the, you know, silverware costs versus, you know, paying attention to, you know, having any semblance of a family life, you know, uh, I, in that, in that way, you know, I think a lot of chefs find themselves in the same position as Carmi where you're like, man, this is what I've been working on my entire life. This is the only thing I know how to do. It's the only thing a lot of the times that I'm actually good at. Um, and having any semblance of a regular life or a quote unquote regular life is actually a detraction because, because you don't spend the same amount of time uh, you know, working on the restaurant with the types of people, with the people that work with you. And I think that's a really interesting distinction because a lot of times chefs feel like highly indebted to their staff because of how hard they work. And honestly, most of the time also for how little on the amount of money that they make, um, which is, you know, obviously we've been trying to fix that as a, as a industry for a very long time. Um, but, you know, you've, instead of, you know, uh, having the ability to pay them extra money, you end up, you know, working with them side by side. And so, you know, any sort of pull away from that attention, um, I know that in that like last dialogue where he's like, I've only been good at this one thing. Uh, there's only been one thing that I've always wanted to do with my life. Um, and that was it. And unfortunately, I think the, uh, like, again, spoiler alert, Claire kind of catches him. Uh, in a, a moment of weakness, right? And, he has this soliloquy in the walk-in, and and the Claire is definitely not supposed to hear, but of course she does. <laughs> yeah, and and weirdly, I think that you know is he was saying that for him, and and really not for anybody else. Um, and and again, that's just that dynamic where you you're trying to find that balance, and and on a day-to-day basis, I'm I'm still trying to find that balance. I think that fortunately for myself, like you know, I was able to go out on a Friday night and, and have dinner. Uh, but it took, I don't know, 11 years to get there of 23 years of, of cooking and 11 years of owning my own business to even start doing that. So, uh, that's always, I think, uh, the most, the, the biggest, um, kind of dynamic, uh, in the brain of, of a chef owner or, or any business owner, honestly on how to balance that life that you want to have with your family versus the life that you choose to have. All right. I want to go through, there's a, there's a few kind of key episodes or, or a few key moments in the show. I just, I just wanted to get your take on some of them. I mean, obviously I have to, I have to ask you about Marcus Stodgen in Copenhagen uh, at what we, it's not, it's not Noma. It doesn't right Cause he visits Noma separately and kind of wanders through the garden. It's some other unnamed restaurant with the pastry chef. Luca, but, but did you kind of, you know, they, they obviously they filmed in Copenhagen. Did that look like the city kind of, as you remember it, did that, did that feel accurate on, on some level? I think there's, there's, you know, a really inaccurate part uh, in the fact that like, that is not the way that Dodgers go. (laughs) You don't, you don't plate food at six, six o'clock in the morning. Uh, You very rarely have the attention of, the pastry chef or the head pastry chef, you end up normally getting tossed with a commis or a chef de partie and they kind of just lead your day. Um, so you very rarely uh, have that actual kind of inspiration, but the city in itself is that type of um, inspired feel. And I think that's what the biggest thing that I got from it. And I was like, they really put uh, what it's like to stage out there 
um, on blast where it's like, you know, you're really putting yourself out there. You're not only just taking from the kitchen that you're in, you're taking from a different way of life. I think, uh, you know, I talked about a really long time ago where it's just, it's important to travel as a chef because it's, there's a, it's one of the very few p- p- uh, professions where you can literally do it anywhere and you can learn from anybody in it um, at all different levels. Um, you may not get paid very much or at all while you're doing it. Um, but, uh, the, the push to try to like try to learn something new or be inspired is definitely there. And I think that it did show that like markets just being like really engulfed, uh, into, uh, that way of life for at least a short period of time. But yeah, you know, uh, living on that boat and that's probably like, a thousand dollar a night Airbnb. <laughs> I don't think that's, <laughs> I don't think that's something that uh, a normal stage would be able to do. Um, but right. I feeding, think feeding the, the invisible uh, cat. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that actually the, the thing that uh, was really important to get out of that, um, out of that episode was that he was like, man, I'm not going to cook on this like very finite level, but it's just as important I even think that Lucas said this. It's just as important, if not more important, to have inspired food as opposed to food just solely based on techniques. Um, and I think it, it comes comes across a lot in the menu when you see it at the end, where it's like, you know, this is a a, a food that really tells the story of of the cooks in the kitchen, and not necessarily just based on you know, certifications and koji and all that. It's it's about the people. Right. It's, it's not just something they saw in a cookbook. It's, it's right. inspired by their experiences and, and we'll, 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 we will definitely go through that uh, before we wrap this conversation up. But the, the next one I wanted to ask you about was uh, I think it's episode three where Sydney is kind of turned loose in the city of Chicago and she goes to a vac and uh, Kasama and some other restaurants and kind of eats around. And then we yeah. see her, you know, in the kitchen, like trying to figure out that pasta dish you know, based on some of the things she's been eating. Talk talk to me about the process of sort of converting inspiration into execution or developing a recipe. I mean, especially when you're early on in your restaurant, a lot of times it's an inspiration or if not even just a straight up ripoff. Uh, finding your voice is really, really tough. And I think that they did a really good job of, again, like, you know, there's some really strong flaws in that episode, like, you know, you as the sous chef of an up- upcoming restaurant probably don't know Donnie Medaya <laughs> and stop <laughs> in, into Avec, uh, who's who's the he's the uh, the owner of One Off Hospitality, who owns Avec and among hundreds or like uh, some of the best restaurants in Chicago and, and beyond. Um, you know, I don't know where she got the stomach to eat all of that, but it seems like she stopped at like eight different places. Um, but you know that that's the real thing, like you know. Uh, even at Theodore Rex now, we're, uh, uh, myself and Caitlin and, um, and, uh, one of our chefs, Frank, is going to go to New York just to eat, not necessarily to do any, not to, you know, take dishes by any means, but just to kind of reset yourself. And I think that, um, them saying like, hey, we need to reset ourselves just to like try somebody else's food. I think it's really important, um, as a chef to enjoy dining out, enjoy eating other people's food. Um, so just if, if for nothing else to just enjoy yourself, but then also to just see a different perspective. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like even at Oxheart, like, you know, after being inspired by Copenhagen for so long, like, dude, 
probably was a pretty direct ripoff of Relay until we really found our own voice. Um, but that's kind of how it goes. Like you, you start by, um, considering ideas of other people and, and, but I, I just don't think that anything just comes just, you know, true artistic inspiration is really hard to come by and have a really hard time even saying artistic with, with food. Um, personally, I think it's a little bit more craftsmanship, um, and kind of like, uh, in history. Um, but you know, you got to start somewhere. And I thought that it was like a really, a really, really good way. Also a good way to show off Chicago, which is honestly one of, one of the best food cities in the state. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think Chicago, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't think like the city of Chicago or their tourism board or whatever paid, paid for that, any part of that production. But, uh, I know it made me want to go eat at, at all of those restaurants that she that she goes to it just it looks so exciting and engaging in that i mean sequence they have such great cooks there and such great raw products it's like it's really you know between like san francisco chicago new york it, it's really tough to pick between the three a lot of times for a larger city obviously great foods everywhere these days and houston being one of them so all right and then the the other episode i want to ask you about is episode seven this is where richie goes to stodge front of the house at uh it's 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 not identified in the uh it's not identified in the episode as ever which is a two-star restaurant in chicago it's kind of it's it's sort of they sort of use that restaurant to film but it's not it's not necessarily that restaurant it's it's kind of a amalgamation of a bunch of places i think 11 madison obviously uh place yeah, has, has, a has, has, <laughs> has, yeah a little linear a little uh emp like a little uh you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe even a little bit, uh, French laundry, but, you know, having, having dined at those restaurants and, and worked at similar restaurants, I mean, what did you, what was kind of your assessment of, of Richie's week, uh, polishing forks and, and sourcing deep dish pizza as a surprise for a, for a customer? Yeah, definitely. Again, just would never happen in a week, but, <laughs> um, yeah, you would just polish forks for the entire time and kind of just take notes and maybe, follow somebody around that that's what would happen um but again just for the sake of of tv i think it was to me like a good dynamic of like that aha moment um a lot of times what you'll find um both as a cook and as i think a front house person when you kind of keep on going into maybe the more rigid um service standards and cooking standards types of places you you really really struggle um until you really kind of get that one aha moment uh, sometimes it is being yelled at, or sometimes it's because you see, uh, you, you see everything start to click together. And it was, it was interesting to see because I think everybody kind of has, has that kind of moment where you're like, okay, I really see how this is all coming together, um, in these two, three Michelin star restaurants, um, and how all the little detail work kind of starts to fit together. Um, again, doesn't, there's no way that you're going to send your stage to run, grab deep dish, deep dish pizza and to <laughs> serve it. Um, but, uh, but you know, it, it did give like this really interesting look into like, not everybody gets to see that. Not everybody gets to, as far as the TV show goes, like it's, it's really tough to talk about, you know, all, you know, 200 people that have to be working in unison and to be following that like level of commitment to, 
a singular idea of what dining should be at a high level or at expensive level at least. Um, and you know what it takes to to really execute um, for a restaurant like that. Um, and you know it's it's interesting to me because it's like you know Richie's been working at you know the beef for such a long time. He's not going to interview somebody just because he wears a suit. Interview somebody and think to his in his head like you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn this napkin for this interview and see this this interviewee is going to uh, is going to notice. And it's you know, and I but I but what I do think is was really important about that is again just that idea of that level of detail um, that generally happens that needs to happen especially if you're going to be charging that type of money and kind of uh, be uh, be looking to be in that Michelin star level or Michelin star style of dining. Right. I mean, Richie's the guy in the in the first episode of the first season who fires a gun in the air to calm down the the guys who are lined up for the video game tournament. Right. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Richie's the one who may or may not have been uh, selling drugs in, in the back alley to, to fund uh, whatever his lifestyle is. I mean, R- Richie's transformation in season two is, is really stunning. And when he, he walks in, you know, he walks in after his, his stage is like, I wear suits now. It's like, yeah. you know, it's kind of the, synthesis of, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, it's like he, you know, the very beginning of, episode one season two is is him being like i don't feel like i have a place here and and he goes to this fine dining restaurant and he feels like he's being punished because he's polishing forks in a chef's coat but he finds his purpose you know and and that kind of purpose in in front of the house you know it's something the show hadn't really showed us right because the sandwich shop you know there's not a lot of front of the house interaction but that they they would need someone like richie i mean just like you've had wonderful front of the house staff throughout the history of of Oxheart and Theodore Rex, it's like it—it it really is a team effort. Yeah, I mean, I think it's—I think they did a really good way of kind of describing, you know, the hours and hours and years and that it takes to get to that point in kind of little small analogies, like you know, his the fact that there's streaks on the pork. So, like in in the episode, um, the back waiter that uh, is is kind of set to train him keeps on complaining about the streaks in the forks. And it is his detail to like, okay, well, someone's just going to be eating this food off this fork anyway, but it's just the point of like, okay, well, you know, they're here and they set aside this time. They paid this large amount of money. Um, why does the streak in the fork really matter? And that to me is like a lot of like, it, it kind of shows like, again, like that level attention of detail that it kind of, that, that restaurant tourists and especially front house people have to take. Um, you know, whether or not it's like walking, walking by your own parking lot and picker, picking up cigarette butts or like making sure that there's no, you know, water on the floor so that, uh, you know, you don't track it into the dining room. Um, you know, like switching out water glasses, uh, if they're going to have sparkling water as opposed to still water, just all, all those little detail work, um, I think was really well kind of like set into the framework of the fact that, you know, um, it takes a lot to do this. And let me just ask you about the uh, the the idea of the the surprise, the you know whether it's whether it's deep dish pizza or you know seeing that there's there's two teachers and they've been saving up for this, so we're going to send them the whole menu with the caviar and then not not drop a check at the end of it. Uh, does that yeah, sound like surprised? <laughs> uh, even in in restaurants that you maybe don't aspire to be of like a Michelin star level, like there's there's like 
I think they're referencing in that particular point on Madison Park, who is kind of infamous for having these these uh, a uh, people on staff called Dreamweavers. That's a really weird way. That's a weird title to have. But what they do is they research you and they uh, kind of tailor that menu to you. But you'd be surprised on how many notes that uh, restaurants have on you as a diner. Um, something as simple as like whether or not you prefer ice in your water or um, you know, if you prefer sitting at the bar, um, or, uh, what your last bottle of wine was and if you liked it or not, um, you know, what your dog's name was or is, you know, <laughs> I think I always tell people, you know, you may not remember everybody's name. I have, I generally have to look at faces before I remember names, but if you remember like their kid's name or their dog's name or their pet's name, like you're, <laughs> you kind of set their life with them, so. Oh, so you mean when when I walk into a restaurant, someone asks me about matzah, it's not because they remember that or they follow me on Instagram. It's it's because that's in my diner notes somewhere in in Open Table or Resi. Yeah, it's a little from Colin, a little from Colin B. <laughs> All right, uh, and then uh, obviously we 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 can't we can't have this conversation without talking about uh, episodes nine and ten, which is kind of the the prep for the the friends and family night, and then the the service where everything. Uh, kind of goes haywire, you know. You've obviously you've opened your share of restaurants. Does that like frantic feeling? Does that, you know, it's 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 really captured by that that guitar riff of the the song "New Noise" by Refuse. That you know, that's like Michael. That's your that's producer Michael. That's your cue to drop that in. By the way, you know, but like that that like really like frantic energy. That that you know. I've I've been around restaurants when they're opening. I've obviously never opened a restaurant, but that that felt roughly right to me. Yeah, I, I think the music is really really important there, which is funny because I actually didn't love the soundtrack for the majority of the <laughs> of, of the show um, because it, actually the person who I think had the best analogy for me that I've ever heard is, is Brandy Keys. That that uh, I think she was open Copa at the time, and she was like, um, it's like duck swimming so it's like across the pond you know it looks like a duck is like kind of gliding but if you look underneath the legs are like frantically paddling right and so that that i i thought it was really fantastic the way that they kind of juxtaposed what it's like like you can't keep up the only thing you can really do is just keep on going i think they 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 constantly say hey hey just keep on going because there are constant things that explode all the time like a dish isn't coming out correctly and you know this isn't wrong like cooks walk out at those openings you know so I, i've never run across they, one they go out in the back alley out. and smoke crack i mean it's, it's complicated and have to get fired uh, yeah and uh and you know you just have to keep on going but it's 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 always really interesting to be able to like because especially too like at a place like oxart where uh the cooks and myself spent a lot of time in, in the dining room i think that was like a, a really big plus Oxheart and we still do that over at Theodore Rex but you know it's it's interesting because like that music that's going on that frantic music is kind of the same thing that's going through your head when you're when you're doing it instead of that juxtaposition of like okay I'm I'm nicely presenting this dish to the guests I'm talking about the farm I'm smiling real big but really all I'm thinking about is what's burning on the stove right now or if I have to go back and fire a dish because you know someone's going to be running 30 minutes behind um, and so like that really like like frantic heartbeat 
is constantly going on during openings. It, it really, you know, it really is that frantic. I just remember the first day that we were opening up for Oxnard, we'd like, we were still touching up paint on the walls. I remember tossing like cans of paint into Justin Vans, who was a sommelier at the time, uh, and into the back of his truck, which eventually ended up spilling over and like <laughs> causing a huge mess, uh, <laughs> in, in the back of his truck. Um, and like throwing like tools and things that we didn't need. Like the tables were still being built that day. Um, you know, we hadn't tasted any of the food. I remember the first pickup we did, you know, I, I thought, you know, to myself, like, yeah, we're going to steam the spinach in, in, uh, what is like a, a it's called a, uh, a thermomix, which is basically a blender that can warm up too. And it had the steamer basket. It's like, oh, this will be easy. We'll just use a thermomix. And then we tried to do it for the first dish, hadn't tasted the dish altogether yet. And then like, and I was like, oh, okay, well, this is not going to work. And so you just are constantly trying to find things that work, uh, basically at every single turn. And it's, it's, a, it's really one of those things you feel like you've run a marathon after, you know, a 12 hour day. And, uh, you're more so like more mentally tired than anything. And, and, but I, I did think that it, they did a really great job of kind of showing, you know, what it really takes to open up a restaurant. I think a lot of people are like, Oh, it'll be great. Like, I'll have my friends there. We just serve good food. Uh, you know, I'll just hire somebody to be a server. How hard could it be to hire a server? And the the level of professionalism that it actually takes is uh, is is pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, no, there's that that really great moment in the last episode where it's like it's really frantic in the kitchen, and then we go through the door into the dining room, and it's like Liz Fair is playing, and people are like enjoying the food and and sipping wine or whatever, and it's like. And it's dimly lit and it's like very calm and it's like such a stark, you know, it's like such a stark contrast. You know, we see Sydney's father, you know, having dinner, you know, Natalie's there with her husband. It's like Pete, it's like, you know, it, and, and meanwhile, the kitchen is like completely going down in flames. Yeah, and of course <laughs> it's, and of course it's, it's Richie who steps up, which is, uh, such an improbable hero story for him. Well, yeah. Uh, by the way, there's no way you can expel yourself out of that in five minutes. That I was like, okay, you could have at least given him 15 minutes. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I think what was like a really important part about that is like when it really starts to click, like you really feel it. It is almost like kind of playing in a band and you're like really starting to get it. And there's really no other feeling like that in the world where you're like, you start to see everything coming together. And I think, that's why we do it. That's why, uh, you know, a lot of chefs continue to push to try to do their own thing. Um, and, you know, because they have something to say and they have, um, uh, like a lot that they want to show the world, uh, through their food. And, and when it really comes together, it's like very, however tiring it is, it's extremely gratifying. Yeah. And then so obviously the, the one major plot point in season 10 is that Carmi's, uh, Carmi's lack of uh, attention to detail, not not getting the walk-in door fixed, uh, ultimately comes to bite him, and he gets locked in there, and misses the essentially the entire service. Right. Do people really get locked in walk-ins? I mean, I I feel like the the few times I've been in one, there's a button you can push that's like the emergency exit. Yeah, you don't get locked in the walk-in like that. But I don't know where else like where he could have been to get locked in for the show. At least, uh, yeah, you can you can unscrew the handle. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, I think that that was like a really important part 
of the show, though, to kind of show that that level of stress uh, versus like what actually can happen. Um, right. Yeah. No, a dramatic license. Right. For sure. <laughs> um, what did you think of the menu? I mean, it's a little bit hard to follow. You know, they say they're doing nine courses. It's a little bit hard to follow exactly what they were serving. You know, we saw that that T-bone. We know we know there was a focaccia. We know there was uh, a pasta course. You know, the, there was a dish inspired by the, the Feast of the Seven Fishes, which is obviously the key, the key meal in, in episode six, the flashback episode. I don't know. What did, what did you think? Of, how did how'd the food look? Would you would you hey. eat that menu? Would you go? Would you go to the bear? Oh, I'd totally go to the bear. I, I will say it looks pretty heavy, though. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would see that in, in, in nine courses. Obviously, again, it's just it's a TV show, you know, have some fun with it. Um you know, serving serving a T bone for it's like that's that's a pretty big cut. So uh Right. They weren't they weren't paying for dinner. If if you look at the way that that menu goes with, with the caviar and the ice cream and, and everything and the, the giant T bone, I mean that that's probably like a, a two hundred and fifty dollar dinner for two. Yeah, definitely. And and it's weird because it's like they really made that transformation big and it's just interesting to see like how, you know, initially he had that certain amount of money to work with and he was like, We need like actually, sometimes budgets do not anymore, not for me at least. But like kind of come together on like a cocktail napkin or maybe the back of a pizza box. Uh, and um, just I think it was just important for uh, viewers to see like really how much it takes to do something, you know, as simple sounding as opening up a restaurant. Right when they go, uh, you, oh, you like those plates? They're they're fifty five dollars each. It's like oh well, yeah. I guess. I guess we don't need those after all. We'll we'll find like those plates that much. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like as especially for your first restaurant, you really want everything to be perfect. Like you have had all these ideas in your head for so many years and to actually put it down on paper and to actually see it come together is like is really, really tough, especially if you're working with a budget. You know, we we opened with a pretty extreme budget um, when it was Oxheart, but uh, like trying to be like, okay, what's more important? Is it the stove or is it these plates? Is it how much I'm paying my staff? Or like even something as, as dumb as like, how much uh, soft opening time do we actually have? Like, because I have to pay for employees this entire time for soft opening that no one else is paying for the food. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought I I would definitely go to the bear. Uh, I'd be really full after it, but uh, I'm, sure it'd, I'm sure it'd be fun. And then... I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but uh, they I don't think it's been announced whether there's going to be a season three yet. We all sort of assume that there will be, you know, we, we kind of have the foreshadowing of, of, you know, Sydney wants to earn a star and then they spend a lot of time. Well, not a lot of time, but enough time to kind of drive them to the point that even successful restaurants don't always make it. Do you have a sense? I mean, or, you know, is, is the bear is the bear going to earn a star or is the bear going to close? I assume that they're earned a star. I actually think that I would actually like to see them be very success, successful and learn how to deal with it because with a certain amount of success, there's like a level of, uh, you feel a lot more, uh, pressure to continue to perform, especially too, is like, I think it foreshadowed like a relationship between Sydney and Marcus and trying to deal with those relationships within, within the, uh, restaurant too. Um, you mean you like know, you mean I like when it. the food critic of the Daily Paper says your six month old restaurant is the best restaurant in the city? That yeah, that kind of pressure. That was uh, that I, I don't uh, yeah. There's a there's a blur in time 
over <laughs> over there where uh, I try not to remember all the things that just uh yeah that one was a that one was a tough one to to quite to try to understand but man it really kind of set us up for uh for a, a good amount of success but so hopefully you lived up to expectations <laughs> all right chef any other thoughts on the bear i just again like i just want to reiterate like you know maybe except for like ratatouille this is probably the closest thing i think you'll see in something like a like a real restaurant and I think, I hope people really enjoy like kind of like those, that little detail work of seeing like, if you ask yourself, does it really take this? Does it take, take this level of concentration to do something again as simple as quote unquote simple as opening up a restaurant? I, I, not only is it, I think a, a fun like introspection on like human nature, but then also like a really great insight into, uh, you know, how maybe your favorite restaurant works. Thanks for listening to this re-air of one of my favorite episodes of What's Eric Eating. We'll be back with new shows beginning January 9th. Happy holidays.